0: So you guys, um, we all just saw Shazam. We all just finished intro to film studies. Tell me, what did you think, Caitlin, and then we'll move on to some of my other students here in the in the studio.
1: Um, personally I did not really like it that much. Oh. Um it just felt very like forced and just like a stereotypical um superhero movie. And yeah, I was kind of disappointed, but I also wasn't expecting a lot, so.
0: Okay, so you were kind of thumbs down. Brendan, what did you think?
2: I, I actually, um, there were parts of it that I, that I really liked, especially like the beginning. It felt like a uh, Sam, Raimi, Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie to me, just because it, it was focused a lot more on the hero, whereas most, uh, most superhero movies recently have been focused on the villain. And um, it was really centered around kind of respecting your hero and uh, developing along with the hero rather than trying to see things from the villain's point of view. And that, that's what kind of gave me those uh
0: Oh, that's interesting, Brendan. Vibes. Yeah, yeah. So just really quickly to pick up on that, because the film actually starts with Thaddeus, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, in that sense, it kind of defies a certain expectation that we've come to have when we go see a superhero movie. Yeah, Terrell, did you want to say something?
3: Oh, well, I have to say I really actually kind of like the film. I mean, like, it captures the entire vibe of, like, childhood to me. It's like, yeah, it does such a good job in terms of developing its character and what people really don't know is like okay yeah it is s- traditional in terms of the way it follows a story like yeah there's a superhero the superhero wins in the end but Spoiler wait so alert. <laughs> well i mean if you're watching this yeah, yeah i mean you know this was but yeah like it's really good and i think there's problems yeah i think there was some problems with pacing maybe where it comes to maybe Some parts of the film were like, you know, it seems very, very forced, like she says, where it seems like character development is kind of forced, like there's some conflict that is forced. But other than that, I thought it was a very solid film.
0: Okay, so Caitlin, we just finished Intro to Film Studies and we talked a lot about shaping devices. Maybe that's what you're kind of like cluing into that you're now in a way kind of trained to get your pleasure from films that are creative in that way. What do you think?
1: Um, Yeah, I think especially just the way that they created the foster home, I think it was just very stereotypical. I mean, they did add the um, aspect of like having a very caring family, which like a lot of foster homes and media don't. But just like the way that the characters were developed, it reminded me of like a ton of other movies that have foster homes in them. And like just the characterization uh, within like each individual character, I was just like and eh, that's i 've seen that before
0: and you in particular because you are like focused on being a, becoming a social worker, so you were probably really tuned into that aspect yeah. right um, yeah, let me ask you everybody this question, so yeah, so we have you know clearly the character you know, like many of our superhero characters is somehow orphaned uh, is an orphan, and yet is sort of taken in by this you know. Multi-ethnic POC family, ad hoc, right? It's a family that's not biologically sort of, you know, put together, but through, um, you know, uh, circumstance and context. Um, And it is POC, right? It's, uh, you know, we have POC finally in in a DC superhero in ways that we didn't say in Zack Snyder's world. Well, how I don't know what's what's on your mind there, Brendan.
2: Uh, I I mean, there's one thing that I really liked, and um, when they brought it up, I was like, oh, hey, that's that's pretty cool. And it was when the uh, the foster parents actually mentioned that they grew up in foster homes as well, and like a lot of the time when you have this kind of story where it's foster parents taking in a foster uh, child or multiple children. you get this sort of disconnect between the characters, like the struggle comes from oh they don't understand that kind of thing. But every single time that Billy went through something, or one of the other kids went through an issue, the foster parents understood because they've been there, they've lived through it, and it. I, I actually, I really, really liked that, and the fact that they could still raise smart kids, like you know, M- Mary's going to Caltech, and uh, you know they figured out that Billy was Shazam all on their own, which is another you know superhero convention. Break there, I just I, I really I really felt that it was fresh even for a formulaic concept.
0: Cool, yeah. What do you think, Terrell? I think um,
3: to build off what he says. Uh, short story short, this film. Although some people have said you've seen it before, I think out of a superhero narrative, we haven't really saw many superhero films that go and follow the type of way that this uh, movie decided to shape its narrative. It focused a lot on the family, focused a lot on character development and how what does family mean to the superhero? That was actually the main conflict, not necessarily the supervillain and the superhero. And I think to that, it adds a whole new aspect to this movie. And that's why I liked it a lot more because it did bring something kind of fresh that you haven't seen before in a superhero film.
0: Yeah, that's great yeah and just kind of um you know piggybacking on what you guys have said, yeah, it's really interesting that you know, Billy comes to the family kind of like on his own terms, and it's not imposed by the adults, right. It's also nice to see a story world where it's not just about kids versus adults now you know of course Thaddeus his whole thing is the conflict with you know the dad who's a big bully right and never thinks he's good enough um but really you know that kind of takes it's kind of marginalized right like you were saying Brendan um it's really not a story about the villain as we've come to expect um let me ask you guys this you know getting back to Terrell your point about the end uh and again spoiler alert here but I mean, it is interesting, too, that it is a collective effort, right, finally. And, yeah, we've seen it with The Avengers and we see it in some of the other, uh, you know, film book recreations. But there was something fresh and interesting and fun about the way we had that collective. And it's a collective of multicultural, multi right, POC care superheroes that come to save the day. But yeah, did you want to say something, Terrell?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, like, from the beginning to the end, the film was different. I mean, the focus on the family was literally the resolution of the film. And even after the fight, they continue to emphasize that you stick to it together. You f- go through your issues together. Like, they go back, they have a the scene. It's kind of funny because you have the cursing Santa, but they also focus on the family getting along. And Billy Batson finally, you know, realizes this is my true family. You go after that. He brings Superman, this is not a spoiler, he brings Superman to fulfill a promise to his new best friend and brother. And also one of the major plot points early on in the film was about the sister. She was like, she didn't tell anyone that she, she already knew about Billy Batson being, you know, Shazam, but she didn't tell anyone because she wanted to be a good sister. That was a major plot point. I saw the film twice. And so like, you don't recognize that plot point the first time you see it, if you're not paying a lot of attention, but she was one that couldn't hold a secret. But to be called a good sister by someone who didn't see her as a sister at first—it was all she wanted, and she was willing to do that and keep the secret. So to me, it was—it wasn't badly written. I think it was consistent at this point.
2: Do you mind if I piggyback off of those? Yeah. So um, one thing that I actually did find myself uh, liking as a student that just finished um, intro to film is that you, every single you know group of people can watch this movie and relate to a character somehow or see somebody they can say hey they look like me or they're in the same you know economic situation as I am you know oh, I'm a foster kid not now they have a hero to look up to as well and um another thing is that the fact that you can create such a strong familial bond between characters all of which are different ethnicities and come from different backgrounds and have different personalities I, I think it Honestly, is probably one of the film's strongest points if we're talking about shaping devices.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's great. Caitlin, did you want to jump in here?
1: Um, yeah, I do think it's great that they put people of color on the screen. But the way that I saw it was each person of color kind of stuck to their stereotype um, the little sister, I don't remember her name, but she was like that typical like sassy little girl and she's black, which is like how you kind of see little girls like that. And then you have the Asian boy who was like obsessed with computers and it's just like constant, like just, yeah, you get to see those people, but you're not seeing them in like how they actually are in real life.
0: Okay, yeah. So <clears throat> um, we, we've got POC, but... In your mind, Caitlin, it's still kind of straight jacketed by the sort of conventions or the stereotypes, even if they're positive, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, these are all positive stereotypes, right? Um, they're model minority stereotypes in many ways, right? Um, and you're thinking, well, but you know, on the other hand, maybe we haven't gotten to that point yet where we can actually complicate those. Once maybe we have like you know what we might call a post-race moment or an abundance of representation types when it comes to POC, then then maybe that's when we can start nuancing and bringing back even like POC as um, evildoers or complicated villains or anti-heroes and stuff. Um, Okay, but let's just, let's let's set that aside. That's just something for us to think about. There are some things that I was a little bit kind of halfish on, like you, Caitlin. Um, and, but I did have fun. It's like one of those good, clean, fun movies, right? And I think that's why it's so successful because, you know, they talked about like superhero fatigue, right? Mm-hmm. Superhero movie fatigue. But maybe it's more like the dark gloom doom superhero fatigue, because it seems like people are excited and interested about the more lighthearted where there's kind of humor and fun laced through the story. I don't know. What do you guys think? Um,
2: yeah, I, I'm actually a DC fanboy, so I'm going to uh, disagree with that because a lot of the complaints that I've heard about, you know, some of the other DC movies is, oh, they made this too lighthearted, or you know, they just weedened it, right? Whereas, like, my burnout comes from these fun movies, like you know, just your cliche Marvel-esque comedy superhero movie. When it gets dark, I think they have their best moments. Personally, Civil War, Captain America: Civil War, when when captain tells tony that he knew that bucky killed his parents that moment for me was a game changer i was like whoa what just happened i had to reevaluate my understanding of the characters and through that I, i i loved it even more same thing about infinity war the fact that the ending was so well done but dark i feel like it added weight to the world with all of these Sort of like fun, happy ones. It doesn't feel like there's any weight to everything. I think the reason why this movie was so successful was because it was lighthearted from DC. I think it's the same reason with Aquaman. DC is so prone to being, you know, dark and gritty. Even from The Dark Knight before the DCU existed, we're used to getting this dark, complex, you know, super in-depth characters that you have to read into for an hour and a half to understand. Whereas now we're getting stuff like Aquaman and Shazam, which know how to have fun with the characters that they've been given.
0: Okay, so you're seeing a turn from not just the Chris Nolan, but also the Zack Snyder DC recreations, right? You're seeing with Aquaman uh, a sort of shift back maybe to the original spirit of DC Comics. Yeah, Terrell, I don't know. Did you want to throw down on this?
3: Mm, I mean, I don't know if there's any superhero fatigue. Although, if you look at what happened with Hellboy, that was kind of that just bombed recently. That was yeah. not
0: good. Yeah, that I haven't seen, but you know, that could also be just pe- yeah. I think
3: bad movie fatigue is more like it. bad
0: movie to fatigue. Yeah, yeah, and I think people were like, sort of we had grown to kind of expect a certain level of craftness with. Hellboy and Guillermo del Toro right Mm -hmm. Um, and his DP and his whole crew and of course Ron Perlman and then we get this radical shift thrown at us I haven't seen it so I'm not going to say anything but Caitlin did you want to
1: yeah I think it's you have to find a balance between darkness and lightheartedness because not any one individual is gonna be completely dark and completely funny and so a good superhero movie is going to have like both aspects of that one thing that i really liked in the flash in, on the cw is that like they go back and forth like one season will be like really dark and then the next season will be very lighthearted, and we'll have a lot of jokes and a lot of like family moments and so it's just like finding that balance between the two and not just focusing on one
2: do you mind if I Yeah, so that's actually what I liked about Shazam, is that it it had that even balance of lightheartedness and darkness. I mean, the entire first half of the film is this, you know, dark introduction to your characters. I mean, you've you've got these kids being told you're not good enough and the seven deadly sins and the car crash and you know, Billy you know Billy's essentially a criminal who's trying to find his mom. Right? He's not a perfect kid, he's not pure of heart, but he becomes the perfect hero throughout the movie because he understands family and, and the consequences of actions. And he, he learns through the lighthearted interactions with other characters that not everything that's dark has to be dark, which is why I think this is such a good movie. Have you ever seen a film
3: ever be called Lighthearted and also witness in the same film, one... Someone gets blamed for being disabled because now the car crash happens instantaneously. That's the first scene. Second scene, <laughs> you have Freddie. He makes a joke about he may have been thrown out the window Game of Thrones style. Then third, he actually gets hit by a car. A disabled kid is hit by a car in this film. Mm-hmm. And no one helps him. Like, this has got some really dark moments. And then a lot of people think because of the humor, it's actually much, much, you know, friendlier there are some dark moments. I mean, there's a film, in this film, someone's head gets bitten, uh, like bitten off completely. Someone gets nearly decapacitated by a car. A kid gets hit by a car. And the entire town, it Just, it's great film. It does have that balance.
0: Fair enough. Yeah. You know, let's th- uh, talk about the monsters. So, the seven deadly sins. Interestingly, I thought, you know, I don't think it works in Wonder Woman. It's what we call the Deus ex machina, right? The hand of God coming in to tie up the loose ends. And I thought that's where Patty Jenkins and the Wonder Woman kind of uh, fell short. I wanted to see Wonder Woman just like, you know, and Wonder Woman kick like the anti-hero's butt, right? Um, we don't need monsters and all that stuff, right? Um, here they work, right? The seven deadly sins. And maybe because it's they're so consistently there, right, um, it, throughout the narrative. I don't know what. What do you got, Caitlin? What did you think about the monsters?
1: Um, I really didn't get the whole seven deadly sins until the end when they like specifically said it. Um, but I really liked at the end where they were talking about envy and how like if you let that out like it's gonna ruin everything and like no one wants to let envy out. And I thought that that was so true to real life and it was just like a very powerful moment.
2: Well, it, it goes to show what Doctor Sivana's. Fatal flaw was. I mean, every single he he mentioned to his father, you know, what what what's your sin? And he came to the conclusion of greed. Well, Doctor Cervantes was envy, and because of that, he was defeated. He lost. He let his rage and his seek for his you know quest for vengeance take hold of him. And I think that characterizes everything really well. Although I do have to say, of everything in the movie, the seven deadly sins were actually the most boring part to me. I thought it was a creative concept and it was really cool, but just the monster aspect of it I found to be the most boring because it's something that you know, we see all the time in a superhero movie. A big bad monster takes over somebody or something and the superhero has to fight it. I honestly, as cool as the character designs were, they didn't feel special.
3: Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I mean, uh the Seven Deadly Sins are the Seven Deadly Sins. Yeah, they're not exactly this up to par, especially since you have all these previous movies and superheroes where they have very strong villains and Seven Deadly Sins don't really have that characterization.
0: It's, yeah, it's always hard when you have a supernatural kind of element in any movie because unless there's an origin story somehow where you can invest in the development of that villain or that antihero Um, They always kind of feel like they're placed into a story, right? Um, So, yeah, it's always a tough call. Um, Just kind of on a further note, as you guys were kind of reading the film and the kind of moral story of the film, the morality of the story, of course, the seven deadly sins for people that were kind of brought up Catholic, even if we're not Catholic now, um, you know, that's, of course, the way to scare kids, right? You use monsters to personify these you know these impulses and to curtail those impulses you bring out the monsters right but it is interesting that I noticed in the film that when we're at the um Vasquez's house the orphan the you know the the family there's on the table right next to the dining table there's a, st- a little statue of Jesus. Do you remember that? And then on the yeah, wall, I think I do remember Yeah. That. Going up the stairs, there's a, a picture, a painting of um, David, kind of Day of the Dead, Calaveras. And it was interesting because I was like, hold on. So there's like this really important aspect of um, Latinx culture here represented on the image on the wall going up. But then there's a G- Jesus statue. Not to say that Latinxes aren't not catholic but most of us are catholic so i just thought that was kind of uh, i don't know if there was continuity issues if they were just kind of throwing stuff in there to make it look religious and not really thinking carefully about it um but anyway yeah i don't know what did you guys think on that or any any of those elements
3: i just found out that uh, if you look at the seven deadly sins and you look at like this um, the children if you look at every single one of them there's like that entire plot point if you look at it it's the entire family for instance you know freddie he had envy he even admitted he had envy so if you look at the entire point of the film if you also look at the children who then had their own resolution too every single one of them there's the fat latino kid he'd be gluttony so you kind of look at it it's kind of like funny oh. that the uh, uh, seven deadly sins get defeated by the family which also embody each and every single one of those sins until okay. they resolved
2: their issues
0: yeah that's great I yeah. just now thought of that. <laughs> that's, yeah, that, that's crazy. For that. um,
2: addressing your point, I think honestly, it's it's one of those details that gets thrown into the background that they don't think people are going to notice. And I feel like the director didn't necessarily. This is the kind of thing that the director would, you know, say to the uh, people that work on the set, like, "Hey, let's put some stuff here and there. I want to make this house look multi ethnic, you know, multicultural." but didn't go through every single detail and say that there, that there, that there. I mean, there are definitely directors that would be that tedious, you know, probably Kubrick for one, every, every single thing that is seen would be, you know, something that he has allowed. But the the house was very cluttered and that's something that I actually found myself being bothered with is like, okay, yeah, I get there's eight people living here, but it, it's, both too clean and too messy it feels like there's way too much stuff spread around but in too organized of a way to the point where like this is just unrealistic and it's clearly set design Mm -hmm. Um, and i i I actually did notice the uh the jesus
0: yeah so let me just throw one more thing out there because this was another thing that rankled a little bit the casting so um they cast for the the dad the papa um a samoan and But his his name is Victor Vasquez, right? I mean, the actor actor's Samoan-American. And then the mama, Rosa, is cast, uh, is played by a Spaniard. And, you know, these are the things that we talked about in class. Like, these tiny little things, if you just thought them through a little bit more, like the Jesus on the, you know, the hutch next mm-hmm. to the table or what have you, it would have, like, we wouldn't be disinvesting as much, right? Um, but okay. So last kind of point about the movie, um, we've got characters act in general, we do have a cast, uh, of actors that are of color, which is really exciting and fun. Um, and you know, I was really, really excited that finally we get a wizard who's not like a wizened old white British accented dude. Right. That was pretty yeah. cool. He was more like a Rastafarian. Right. Um, And um, but yeah, so what do you I mean, any sort of final thoughts about the film, Caitlin?
1: Um, I mean, just to go back to the whole like Jesus thing is that when I first noticed the set design and saw like all the religious elements, I was like really surprised. But I was also like super happy because. Uh, the media tends to, like, not talk about religion a lot, especially Christianity, and they try to, like, just ignore it. So the fact that they were, like, showing it on screen, I was like, yes, like, finally.
0: And it was just there. There wasn't, it yeah. wasn't being made a big deal of, right? In the same way that we see news reporters or just average people walking on the street that are Latino or white or um, South Asian American or whatever, it's just there, right? Just naturally there. And it wasn't making a big deal about it. Yeah, cool. Brendan.
2: Um, yeah, for me, uh, regarding the, the, the wizard thing, I, I honestly, as, as Ness was to have the representation, I feel like they just missed out on Patrick Stewart. You know, I feel like he would have been the perfect cast for that just to have <laughs> a little fun with it. I, I know the guy from, uh, he, he's also in Marvel and, uh, I, I think I first saw him in Push and I really loved him as an actor. Uh, I feel like at, at this point he could, you know, lead his own film. Um, it, it did feel a little bit weird seeing somebody that you've seen in a Marvel movie in a DC movie as suddenly sure. an important character. Yeah,
0: We just saw him in Captain Marvel. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I
2: just, yeah, I, I honestly, I feel like for the old wizard thing, as nice as it was to see somebody of a different ethnicity playing the part, they, they should have just gone a hundred percent and gotten one of those like legendary old British actors, like Sean Connery, you know, Patrick Stewart, Michael yeah, Gambo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Honestly, you know, It would have been another Harry Potter wizard.
0: That's what you wanted. Okay. (laughs) Terrell, how about you?
3: Um, You know, it's a little bit interesting. I mean, I think the actor that they cast, I think he specifically. Isn't he from Britain as well? I think so. Yeah, Yeah. I think he, um, if I remember correctly, I think the reason he actually stated he actually gets in these films and he applies for these roles and tries to get them because he's applied for apparently many. He's played like so many characters. Some people can joke about the fact that he's been in so many of these movies.
2: Like he's Ronan, isn't he? Isn't he Ronan? Uh, no, he he plays one of like, Ronan's top henchmen. Yeah. One of the no, the, the henchmen. guy that he that Star Lord interacts with at the very start of the yeah. film. Yeah. He's got many roles. <laughs>
3: too yeah. many to keep on. Uh,
0: yeah. Way okay. too many.
3: Um but Those I think the reason too he, many. Yeah. The reason he's I think the reason he does do these roles is I think he said he had like this uh nephew or something. He wants to give his nephew a character to look at that's like, hey, people of this race can be a superhero or in this universe sure. too which is his reason though i probably agree with you they probably could have done better with the casting because it does weird that he has like caucasian hair on his head
0: <laughs> <laughs> that are just gray like me all right you guys thanks so much that was awesome thanks for having us